saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. My text is found, a little expression of verse 4 tonight. So he made it again, another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. He made it again. Let's bow our heads, please, for just a word of prayer, asking for God's power and for God's presence now on the remaining of the service. I trust that you'll listen carefully. And prayerfully, and we're going to ask Brother Bill if he'll lead us in a word of earnest prayer for God's power. Brother Goolsby, please, sir. There's one word in this little expression that's on my heart. To call to our attention again, the Bible says he made it again, another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make it. I read some time ago in reading of a great man that God used And in a prayer, there was a little expression that spoke to my heart that actually suggested the subject that I'm speaking on tonight. A number of years back, there was a preacher, a southern preacher, a colored preacher, traveled many miles to go to where his leader, he was a Methodist preacher, an old circuit-riding Methodist preacher, and he rode many miles to where his leader, John Wesley, was filled with the Spirit of God. This dear brother rode, I repeat, a number of miles, and when he got to the exact place, the best that he could find, where that his leader, John Wesley, had the breath of heaven come upon him, he got off of his horse, and it said that he took his hat from his head and bowed his black head and stood there, seemed like for minutes, and his prayer, it was just a short prayer, just a statement, he said, do it again, Lord, do it again, Lord. And I read that, and tears came to my eyes while I was reading where that dear preacher rode those many miles, and he said his ministry had got dry, and the group that he was with was getting worldly and powerless. And this dear man of God said he got so hungry, he just rode to the exact place and said, Lord, do it again. And I want to preach tonight on some things that I trust God will do for us again. Some things that I believe God wants to do for us again. Of course, the word again means anew, afresh, another time. This is a time of year when we think of resolutions. Some folk talk about turning over new leaves. Some people talk about starting again. And I'm for that. Those of you that know me, you know that I am for setting goals and making resolutions. One man said, I don't believe in it. I made some resolutions and I didn't live up to them. Well, any person that set out to do better, he did better because he worked at it and tried to be a better Christian. And so I'm for setting goals and making resolutions. This this is the last 10 years, every New Year's night. I pulled this out of my wallet a moment ago. I've written on the back of it the year before. Last year I wrote on this side. It was Wednesday morning, January the 1st, 1975, 3.30 a.m. I'd gotten home from speaking in two or three meetings last year. I was not a pastor then. I'll not read all that I have jotted down here, but sometime in the early morning, around 4 o'clock, I tucked my pen out. I looked on the back, and there's a couple of things I said, Lord, I'm sorry that I failed there so miserably what I pledged by your grace to do last New Year's. And this New Year's when I return home, by the grace of God, I'll read Psalm 1 and again write out some new rules, new goals, some new resolutions by God's grace. I'll ask him to help me do, and I believe it'd be healthy spiritually for all of us to do it. I, I said, Lord, 
I, by your grace, help me in my prayer life to pray more and spend more time with you. By your grace, help me to spend more time in the precious book in 1975. Lord, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. Help me to be a better friend to my friends. Lord, I want to be a better soul winner than I was in the year past. And some other things that I jotted down there and God spoke to my heart and I repented while our brother was preaching a moment ago. I said, Lord, there's so many areas last New Year's I pledged to do better, wanted to do better, and set out to do better. But God showed me tonight that I'd fail. But by God's grace, I believe tonight we ought to ask him to let us do some things again for him. Amen. I believe it with all of my heart. Four years ago tonight, early morning hours, went over in the study in the other building. About 2.30 in the morning, I left the parsonage then was over here. I left going to the study. My oldest boy, Dwayne, who's here tonight, he said, Dad, can I go with you? And I said, Dwayne, all I do is go and talk to God and read the Bible and try to seek God's presence and make some resolutions for this year. He said, Dad, I'd like to go with you if you don't mind. And uh, God spoke to my heart and said, bring him along. First time anyone's ever been with me in that time when we make those new rules. But I said, Dwayne, if you'd like to go, come on. He could tell you this tonight. We got there about 2.30, spent nearly an hour there. God's presence got so real. We read Psalm 1. And while I was down on her face praying, Dwayne prayed with me. We came back. We'd gone to bed, probably been in the bed a half an hour. I heard Dwayne, my oldest boy, he said, Dad. I said, yes, son. He said, Daddy, I need to talk to you. I said, what? He said, Dad, while you was praying over in that room while ago, he said, when God's presence got real in there, he said, I got scared, Daddy. He said, I just don't believe I'm saved. I don't know for sure. And I'm afraid if I die tonight, I'd go to hell. He said, would you mind coming in here and let's just get this thing settled? And I said, hallelujah. That's one New Year's I'll never forget. I walked in and we knelt there beside the bed and you could see the seriousness all over his countenance and he'd been baptized and made a profession when he was about five or six years of age. And I said, Dwayne, how did you feel? He said, why, you was talking to God and God's presence got real in the room. He said, Daddy, I got a fearful, awful feeling and I'm afraid I'm not saved. He got out on his knees and I said, go wake up mama and tell her what happened. Hallelujah. And I thank God that when God's presence comes, I thank God that he can let us know and we can take the examination that our brother preached about a while ago. Amen. I trust tonight God will stir us somehow that when this old year's going out and the new ones are fastly approaching upon us, that we'll say, Lord, as the old colored brother said years ago, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Help us to do some things again. Now let me give you about four or five places in the Bible where it is said that God did something again for his people. That one little word gripped my heart and I took the concordance and you can find scores of times and I won't have time to preach all that I listed, but as the Lord leads, three or four things I've asked him to do for me again this year, especially for our church this year. We find in the book of First Chronicles chapter number 13 and verse number 3, the Bible says there that they brought the Ark of the Covenant home again. Now listen to me. For 20 years the Ark had been gone. For 20 years the glory had departed. For 20 years Incubot had been written on the, 
on the doorpost of the house of God and the breath of heaven was gone from God's people. For 20 years, that little box, about the size of an average communion table, that little box that represented the presence and the power and the glory of God, for 20 years, I repeat, that had been away from its place and it had been down in the Philistine country and the glory was departed and Ichabod written all over everything that had to do with the people of God. No power, no glory, no revival. But the book says they brought the ark home again. I looked at that and I said, Lord, do it again. Lord, put your power on our churches again. Lord, put your glory again upon the assemblies. Put your breath of heaven again on the house of God so that when people walks into the place of worship, they'll have to go away saying, we sense the presence and the power of God there. I said the other night, it's immaterial to me what people think about my screaming, my hollering, and my slobbering, my walking around. But I said if they leave the house of God and they must say that they felt God's presence and they sensed His power there, then that's the greatest compliment they can pay any preacher or any church when they leave, saying the breath of God is there. There are places all over this country tonight they need to say, do it again, Lord. Bring the ark back. Bring the power back. Bring the presence of God back. Neighbor, without His power, it's all a form. Without His power and without His glory, it's just a ritual. And there's no refreshing, there's no glory, and there's no blessing, no hallelujah. No one ever gets blessed where the power of God ceases to come upon the people of God. I sat there a moment ago and refreshed my thinking from the book of Samuel chapter 4. That's where they lost the power of God, and chapter 7 is where they got it back. I looked at it and it seemed like the Lord spoke to me. The one reason they lost the glory, they lost the ark, was because of a shameful sin in the assembly of God. The leader, Eli, the high priest, his two sons actually committed immorality around the door of the house of God with the females of that day. And the man of God did nothing about it. And God said that he took the glory away because of the sin that was in the assembly. I went to a church not long ago and God wasn't in 40 miles of that place. Oh, it was cut and dried and dead. You couldn't talk. The singers got up to sing. It wasn't refreshing like it was tonight. There was no to it. There was no hallelujah. There was no smiles on the faces. Everything was cut and dried. Females there in their britches and long-haired males there. No one had preached on sin. No power of God there. Nobody trembling under Holy Ghost conviction. The devil said to me, started out on Sunday morning. Drove 300 miles north to go to the meeting. Started on Sunday morning. The devil said, you better not preach what you usually start out with. If you do, you lose this whole crowd the first morning. I said, devil, I just soon to lose them this morning as the third morning. I said, I'm going to start this morning and preach what God told me to. And the breath of heaven fell on that place that morning. I thought the dear pastor, God bless him. I'm sure he loves the Lord and a dear brother. He was in a situation. The devil had him over the barrel, had him compromising like our brother preached about earlier. And he didn't know what to do about it. The devil had said to him, since you've let it go so long, if you start preaching now, they're all 
He said, Brother Heard, after the power of God fell that morning, he said, Brother Heard, I'd only heard you preach one time in the camp meeting. And when you first struck up and started, he said, the devil said to boy, you've messed it up now. He'll ruin you for sure. And he said, I just said back to the devil, if they run me off, I'll pack up and go home with him. Amen. And the power of God fell that morning. And there's 150 people there. About 145 of them got around the altars and came up and down the aisles. Only three or four people left in the pews. And heaven came down. People confessed. Wow, kind of sin around the place. And we had a blessed revival. Why? Because the glory was there. But because who was preaching? That's immaterial who was preaching. God just uses instruments. And any time an instrument is surrendered to the hand of God and the will of God, he'll use any of us if we'll mean business and let the Spirit of God bring the power of God upon us. You can't do it. He's the Holy Spirit. We've about forgotten that He's the Holy Spirit of God. And as our brother said, we've compromised and we've tolerated and we've given in until just about the heavenly dove has taken His flight and Ichabod is written all over our places. I went this morning. I slept in the prophet's chamber last night to try to be alone with God. And I went up this morning and walked barefooted up and down the aisle of our church. And I said, Lord, and I don't mean to brag tonight. God knows my heart. But I said, Lord, I'd rather drop dead right here, God, that you'd ever lift the glory from this place. And if folks come and go away disappointed and no breath from heaven, no power, no hallelujah, nobody gets under conviction. I said, God, I'd rather you kill me now than just to go without it. I'm glad, thank God tonight, there is a glory for us. There's a power for us if we'll bring the ark back where it belongs. The Bible said David brought the ark home again. There's two things that caused him to lose that ark. Not only shameful sin in the assembly, but it was the self-confidence of the people. They began to think they could do it. You see, they was trusting in the box, but not the God of the box. And when the Philistines came after them, they said in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4, they said, go get the ark. And they shouted so loud that the shout rang up and down the hillside because the ark, and they said, God has come in the camp. No, they got ritual. They just followed the ritual and they got formal, but they're denying the power thereof. And God said, all right. You forgot that box represents me and you're supposed to trust me in your heart and you're supposed to be surrendered in your heart and God said, I'm going to let the Philistines take over and you know what? They lost 30, a thousand of their best men. You know what happens? We lose the power of God. We lose our people. I'll guarantee you, people won't hang around something cut and dried and dead. I'm criticized, and this church is criticized, and any church that's doing anything is criticized by dead heads and dry hides, and they're saying we're proselyting, and we're getting their people. Well, I'm, I'm sorry when anyone leaves any place, but listen, we ought to try to spread a table, and if the people come, let them come and say, glory to God. I say to our men, if our place gets so dry and dead and no blessing and people don't want to stay, I said, we're the ones who ought to be on our face somewhere and find the God and bring the ark back. One fellow said to me in another state, said, now, Brother Hurt, you've been here twice, and God's given us good meetings. And he said, we had some folks saved, and people have come. But he said, well, I'll ask you a question. It was a Sunday afternoon seminar, he called it, and there's asking questions. And he said, here's the question. And it was in public, three or four churches there. He said, uh, they come in and stay a few weeks, but then they won't stay. How can you keep people? I, didn't, I wasn't as blunt as I even thought about being. 
But I said, let me use a crude illustration back on the farmland. I said, where I was reared, I said, my responsibility was to slop the hogs. That's what we called it, amen. You may say feed the pigs, but we said slop the hogs, amen. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, brother? Now, I said, if I went out there with just an old bucket of dingy dishwater, I may fool those dumb pigs a time or two, but I'll guarantee you a dumb hog knows when you don't give him anything, he'll quit coming to you. But I said, you put a little seed in there and stir it up and put some crumbs in there and he'll root the trough up waiting for you. He'll be there when you get there. The preacher said, are you saying give him something? I said, you got it. Amen. <laughs> Feed him. There's a famine today. And it's not necessarily for physical bread. It's for the word of God. And people are hungry for the presence and the power of God. Oftentimes people that do not know how to express themselves in Bible terminology. People will say something like this. One young couple said recently visited a certain church. And then went from another church. And they'd gone to another place. And they said both of them are fundamentalists. Both of them went to the same school. Both of them believe the same Bible. Both of them preach about the same length, and both churches are similar in many ways, but they said, preacher, there is something you feel in one place that you don't feel in the other, and said, we've made up our mind, we just like it. I know those preachers. One of them believes what I'm talking about. One of them believes in waiting on God and stand there till heaven gets on his soul and the power of God comes on him, and he feeds his people, and the other fellow doesn't do it. Now, they may not know what to call it, but they know whether it's there or not. Amen. 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 Fellow said to me some time ago, he said, well, I know when I get it. Yeah, and others will too. Amen. Amen. Sure. You listen to me. Someone said the other day, well, there's so much fanaticism about the Holy Spirit and the power of God. I'm a little afraid to preach to my people. A lot of fanaticism about the plan of salvation and and, and the second coming, but I'm not going to quit preaching on them. Amen. Amen. But you go to chapter 7 of 1 Samuel and there's where old Samuel began to pray for those people and 20 years the ark had been gone and I realized when David said what he did it was bring it to the temple not to the tabernacle but 20 years the ark had been called and they said pray for us and you know what Samuel did? Chapter 7 of 1 Samuel the first thing he did said return to the Lord. That's repent. Fellas, the other day the last message of the church is the Great Commission. I'm for the Great Commission but that's not the last message of the church. The last message to the church, Jesus gave it in Revelation 2 and 3, and he said, repent, repent, or else, he said, I'll remove the candlestick, and in many areas the candlestick is gone. There is no testimony, there is no light, there is no influence in the churches. First thing he said was return to the Lord, and then he said, seek him with all of your heart. I preached Sunday night on the abomination of half-hearted service. God said, I would just either hot or cold. He said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You make me sick to my stomach. God said, these fence straddlers, these folks that can sleep in and, and, and not get their own time, bus workers that don't take it seriously, Sunday school teachers that won't prepare until just a few minutes before, no heart in it, no burden, no tears. God said, you make me sick to you. You say that's pretty plain. That's in the word of God. I preached Sunday night on one the one single thing all successful people have. I said every person that ever reaches the top in any area, he has it. And that's wholeheartedness, 100% meaning business. The world puts us to shame how we haphazardly, half-heartedly serve God. God have mercy. If the average fellow that serves God, if he went to the place of employment and work there like he serves God, he couldn't, he couldn't hold a job. I went to a man some time ago on a Sunday when I was pastoring and uh, it had a big snow and the streets were slick. He didn't come on Sunday. I called on him on Monday night. He'd been to work. He went to work that Monday. 
I said, we missed you Sunday. He said, oh, Brother Hurt. He said, you mean some folks showed up? I said, yeah, I had a good crowd. Well, he said, my soul. I didn't think he expected them to come out with it like that. I said, you work today? And his face got red. Well, he said, Brother Hurt, after all, the Bible says a man has to live. No, it says you have to die and meet God. I said, listen, I'd hate to think I was sorry enough to stay in bed on Sunday and then get up and go on Monday just because of a paycheck. That fellow's not wholeheartedly. He don't mean business for God. Old Samuel said, now if you want to get that heart back, the first thing you do, he said, repent and seek him with all of your heart. And then he said, get those false gods away from here. And the next thing he did, he took some water and poured the water out on the ground. And you know what spilt water is a symbol of? When that man of God took that water and poured that water on the ground, he then looked up toward heaven and he said, Lord, we're as helpless as water that's spilt on the ground. You can't pick it back up. It's useless. It's helpless. And he said, oh God, back there 20 years ago in their self-confidence, they thought they could do it. But he said, God, we're like that water. We can't do it. And then he took a suckling lamb and took that lamb and that lamb was killed and he offered it there on the altar. And that's a picture of Calvary, the blessed Lord Jesus. He's our sufficiency tonight. And then he looked up to heaven and the Bible said God discomfited the Philistines and gave the victory to the people of God. You listen to me tonight. We need to bring the Ark of the Covenant back home. We need to get Inkibot off of our doors and get glory back in the services and get hallelujahs back in the services. Not one thing in the world wrong with that. Amen. I know there's still a few Pharisees gets upset when folks praise the Lord. Amen. I enjoy upsetting these deadhead pharisaical hypocrites. Amen. I like to watch them while I'm preaching. I like to our services while folks are singing and saying glory. And Brother Zach puts his hand up. And especially when Walt Wager comes and he shouts and hollers. I like to watch them dry hides get upset. Amen. You say you for all of that? Someone said, do you do that? If they'd have sang another verse that protocol a while ago, I was about to do it. Amen. I'm not a, I'm against you doing it because someone else did. That's, 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 that's just putting on the dough. But if God wants you to lift your hand, if you live right, walk right, live clean, a soul winner, love your pastor, tie them to church, you go ahead and do it and God will be in it. But if you don't, you're a hypocrite if you don't live right. Fellow said in a camp meeting some time ago, said we was going to book him for the next camp meeting, but he'd ruin a camp meeting preaching like that. I said preaching like that, ruin a camp meeting. It's not God's not in to start with. Listen to me tonight. Oh, we need to bring the ark again. Lord, do it again. Do it again. And when we come to the house of God, we can sense his presence. Fellow said, preacher, you don't walk by feeling. I know you don't. But if he's around, you'll sense him. Amen. And you'll feel him. And you'll know you've been in the house of God and been worshiping if the glory's there. Not again, Lord. That's what the old preacher is saying. Put the ark back where it belongs. I found that word again, First Kings. Old Elijah's praying. Elijah's asking God for a miracle. Old Elijah told his servant, said, now you run out there and see, and see if you see that cloud yet. And the servant went out there and in First Kings 18, 43, he came back and said, I don't see anything yet. And old Elijah told his servant, he said, you go seven times. Go again, seven times. There's the word again. He said, do it again. Do it again. Seven, of course, the number of completion. You know what he said? Don't you quit till you see what you're praying for. I say, Lord, do it again. God, give us some miracles in answer to prayer again. 
preachers in our service some time ago, and he said, oh, Brother Hurt's sort of fanatical, and he's sort of radical. He said, well, you can't expect miracles in this age. He said, that's one of the sign gifts that went out back down at Pentecost. He said, you need not expect miracles. I don't wonder he's not getting any. Amen. He don't believe it. Thomas said to me one day, he said, that verse is for another dispensation. I said, well, don't bother me with it. God's been answering me for 13 years. Amen. And I've been using it. I'm sure the Lord don't know about it. He's been answering my prayers on that verse. My prayer verse is Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that you know not. And I've been getting prayers answered on that verse, even if it belongs to Jews. Amen. I don't have no time for these altar dispensations that cut up God's word. I'm just going to believe it. Amen. Amen. He's my father as much as he was Jeremiah's and he's his concern right now about his bride more so I think than any group has ever been on this earth. And I think there's ever a time that God wants to show himself mighty and powerful. It's in this age. You say what you will and you can charge me with all, I mean, anything you want to and, and you just help yourself. I'm going to open up and let you criticize me now. I might have an enemy here tonight. I don't know. But listen to me. God's answered some prayers and worked some miracles this year. You as members of this church can say amen. This is a miracle church right here. And everyone knows anything about it knows that. And then Brother Max's ministry over there, that's a miracle ministry what God did. You can't explain that. Old, old Elijah said to his servant, he said, uh, go out there and see if you see the cloud rising. He came back and said, nothing, Master. He said, keep on going. Go again. Go again. He came back and said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand coming up over the sea back there. He said, tell old, old Ahab to get out of the valley. He said, it's going to come a gully washer. Amen. He didn't have to see it thunder and lightning. He said, it's just a little small cloud coming up back over that. He said, that's my father answering my prayers. Amen. Sure. How long has it been since you got a prayer answer? Lord, do it again. I took my wallet. A fellow said to me the other day, I was getting ready to preach, and there's three or four young preachers sitting on the front row been there every night, and I'd come to platform and I'd do like this, and I'd pitch stuff over like that. And well, he'd just look, and he'd just listen. He came by Thursday night, and he said, Brother Hurt, could I ask you a personal question? I said, sure. He said, what's that mean when you do that? <laughs> I said, it means I'm empty in my pocket. Amen. <laughs> He says, any spiritual significance? I said, no. I said, I just thought me I might get raptured. I don't I want to take off in a hurry, amen. And I said, I got all my bills in my billfold. You don't want to leave him for my creditors, amen. <laughs> but I, I was looking back there a while ago, and again, I do, I do regularly. I got names in my wallet of dear saints of God that praise an hour before we have a service at our church. Many of them half hours. Nobody else knows whose name's in that wallet. They say, preacher, and I ask them when they quit doing it. Don't be a hypocrite about it. Take your name out. Ask me, and I'll just drop it. Won't be any hard feelings. But don't let me carry your name when you're not doing it. You see, I start and I fail. Then I, well, repent and start on doing it again. Don't quit. Amen. Do it again. That's what I'm preaching about. Do it again. I went to Dr. Howells' place some time ago, and I was talking to a deacon after the service, and he told me I over a hundred deacons comes to that great church on Saturday night. They meet with their pastor, and those dear men of God stay there sometime. It may take all night, but they stay there until heaven comes down, and until God assures them, we're going to bless, I'm going to bless you, preacher, tomorrow, and he'll have power. Everybody's heard of Dr. Howells, but we don't know the names of those dear deacons that's paying a price and waiting on God and praying until the miracle comes. 
two deacons came some time ago and they visited my study. And when I was pastoring before I went to evangelism and said, Brother Hurt was in your service on Sunday night. We'd like to ask you some questions and said, God's blessing your ministry and so on. And said, we'd like to ask you some questions. And, and they asked some questions. And I said, Brother, I came in the other morning, early in the morning. And I said, the night workers, the night workers, two of them, one of them didn't even know the other one was there. They was one in one room and one in the other. And I said, I walked up to a door and I heard that one and he'd been there, I know, over an hour and the other had just joined. I heard that one saying, oh God, God bless our preacher. Oh God, fill Brother Hurd. Put your power on Brother Hurd. I stepped over to the door and there was another dear man who'd worked all night. There he was down on his face. Not one morning. They did that morning after morning after morning saying, oh God, oh God, God do something. Give us revival. There's the answer. There's the secret. Is miracles in answer to prayer. And I say as Elijah said, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Keep on doing it. Porter went out to where Charles Haddon Spurgeon was, one of the world's greatest preachers of Dr. Spurgeon. I had a preacher for over 40 years. He spoke to the same audience and or the, the group there in the same place and packed out service every time that opened the doors once a month and asked the regular audience to stay home where that the others could get in to hear him. They said, sir, what's the secret of such a phenomenal ministry as this? And Mr. Spurgeon said, I can answer it in one statement. My people pray for me. While he preached, I've seen a picture of it. While he preached, his platform was built up like this. And down on the platform, there's over a hundred deacons. The whole hour he is preaching, they were crying to God saying, Oh God, put your power. Oh God, come with your power. There was 120 prayed 10 days that brought Pentecost and got 3,000 saved. And I believe God still wants to do it. I say to our people, and I'm for promotion, I'm for buses, and I'll say something about it in a minute, and I'm for that, and I'm for reaching people, and I think if we've got something that's worthwhile, we ought to get it out before the people. I'm for it wholeheartedly. I mean, I, the only crowd I hear that's knocking anybody that's doing something is the ones that's not doing anything. But I say to our people, if we bring all west side of Indianapolis into our place, and we don't pray down the power of God, we can't help them. I want them when they come in there for us to have such power upon that place. And I'm sure that's the desire of your dear pastor and all these pastors here. And it will only come when my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Amen. And that expression means to get God's approval back upon us. Amen. He turns his face when he's not pleased with us. And they said, and God said, I'll get revival when you get in the place I can look upon you again. I say, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Not only bring the ark back again, but old Elijah said, pray again. And then my text said, he made it again. He made it again. Now what did he make again? A vessel? A vessel of clay. Not a beautiful vessel necessarily. Not, not an expensive vessel, but a vessel. And vessels of clay were especially vessels, instruments of service. So that thing, what they used to serve other people. You know what I pray, Lord, do it again. Make our people servants. We always want to lead. You know where God fellow came out long ago and he implied, well, if you've got a position of leadership, I might think about coming. I have a place of leadership. Jesus said if he's not faithful in little, he wouldn't be faithful much. You put a man that's not faithful in leadership, if he doesn't have any character when he's following, he won't have any character when he's leading people. I mean, if he's not faithful in little, the book says, he won't be faithful much. I recommended a preacher, and boy, he told me, oh, Brother Hurt, if you can recommend me, if you can help me, you travel around some, and if you can help me, I did, and he went, and he came back a little bit later. Well, that wasn't what I had in mind. Did you know they just run 20? 
first church, he said, I, I like to go full time. He'll never go full time with that attitude. I mean, if he's not little enough to preach to 20, he's not big enough to preach to 200. He's not faithful with a little that God was going to give him. He wouldn't be faithful if he had the 3,000 there when the novelty wore off him with no character. He's a lazy hound that he is. He'd swear. You know what we need is servants. You know God's estimation of greatness? It's not the doctors and the lawyers and the PhDs and so on. And I'm not belittling scholarship. They said where I came from, PhD meant post hole digger. Amen. I don't know. It might mean that. I've seen some that you wonder whether they can dig a post hole or not. But you know, God's estimation of, uh, of greatness is service. Moses, greatest man, one of the greatest I walked on, he said, Moses, not my, not Moses, my doctor, but Moses, my servants did. Amen. Job, my servant. Joshua, my servant. Paul, my servant. John, my servant. Jesus said, I'm not among you as a king. I'm among you as one that serves. And he's the greatest ever said put on this earth. Amen. You want to go up in this business of serving God? out on the field. There's where workers is needed. Out there's where Jesus prayed for laborers to thirst out in the field. And I say, oh God, do it again. I'm praying when we go into the building this spring to have ten buses and asking God to give us workers already ready. And Sunday night I saw some come and fall. And, they, and I know what two or three of them was praying about. They'd ask me to pray. And I was in my soul saying, Lord, do it again. Do it again. I almost preached this home last Sunday night. But I thought, Lord, that'd be a good New Year's. I'll just say it. Amen. Amen. But I said, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You know what? Be a servant. Be a servant. You want to be great in God's sight? Quit asking for someone to do something for you. And not as what can I get, but what can I give? Happy people on this earth are folks that invest their lives in the interests of other people. Most unhappy, miserable wretch in this building is that self-centered person. Oh, God's not pressure bank accounts and all that business. Press God a bit. That thing the average person lives for and grasps and lives for and they're miserable. That's all they live for. God said it's so common in heaven. We walk on it. And yet many people are miserable down here. Simply because they saying, gimme, 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 gimme. If you will sell out to God and be a vessel that can be served other people and ask God to make you again. You said, I used to work on a route. Well, you're broken tonight. Did you know you're still in his hand like that pot, that clay was in the hand of the potter? And he can make you again a servant as it pleases him. Some of you need your marriage made again. He can do that. I saw a person just today. Big smile on their face, and I remember when the marriage was falling apart, and his head of the divorce court, and they said, "Amen, preacher, it's heaven now. Praise God." You know what happened? He made him again. He made him again. Aren't you glad He gave us a second change, and a third, and a fourth, and a hundredth? Aren't you glad we can start again? Yes, praise God. A man died on the field some time ago in Vietnam. Chaplain got near him when he was dying. Chaplain said to him, and he was still conscious, is there anything that you'd like me to communicate with back home? Any message? And he said, yes, sir. He called in the name of a church in what city in the United States of America that church was located? The Baptist Church, Soul Winning Church. He said, would you write a letter and tell a certain bus worker and Sunday school teacher, a lady, an older lady, would you say something like this to her? I'm glad one day as a little boy she knocked on my door. Got me to ride the bus the next morning. One minute Jesus in the class. And said, tell her it's still good while I'm dying. I read that and said, hallelujah. Lord, do it again. 
Do it again. We don't have much longer to work. And yet, I thought a moment ago, if in this good church and in the church that I'm privileged to serve in, and in your good church and in the brother's church back here and the other brother's church and in the other churches that's represented, if our people would just say, Lord, do it again. I want to be a servant. Revival break out in all of our churches. Isn't it a shame? I, I heard a dear brother saying some time ago, I think his name's Miller, with no hands, no legs. That brother sat and sang his theme song is, Lord, what's the theme song? Lord, use me. My, what a message. And I broke and I wept and I cried and I said, there he is, no arms, no legs. Lord, use me. Surely there's a work I can do. And I cried and said, God, have mercy on us poor miserable sluggards. In greats we are. We got arms and we got two hands and we got legs and we got feet. There and goes all the time. He'd be offended if you said he was handicapped. He just gets right in and, oh, and I thought, oh, God, God have mercy on us. Lord, do it again. Amen. Back yonder in Psalms 122, they'd been captivity and they'd been over in Babylon and the Babylonians said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. They said, we can't sing. We're in a strange land. God's people was in the world that hung their harps on the willows. They couldn't sing. Did you know the world expects us to sing tonight? But Psalm 122, verses 1, 2, 3, down through there, it said when he turned again, there it is, again, when he turned the captivity, the Bible said their mouths were filled with laughter, and they began to sing, and the heathen said, boy, God's done great things for them. And they stopped and said, the Lord has done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. Amen. You know why some folks drag in, some average Baptist drags in long face and mumbling and complaining? There's some of you complain at what you used to shout at. Nothing happened to your services, it's just you. Nothing happened to the preacher, just you. I mean, he begins to mumble and complain. Wonder what's happened to our service. Have you noticed our service is not what they used to be? No, you're the only ones who noticed it. And you'd get right with God and get out of the world, get out of Babylon. That complaining would change and you'd start praising God again. Amen. I like what the the colored brother said. I I like what he said. Someone let me listen to a tape the other day. And he said, I got off of that mumbling avenue and now I'm living over on Thanksgiving Boulevard. Amen. And he said, it's so much better. Glory to God. You don't have to live over on Mormon Avenue. You don't have to be a critic and a complainer. And listen to me, you're as wicked as they are. If you listen to them on the telephone, somebody picks up the telephone and begins to gossip in your ear and run your church down and your preacher down and your associate down and the leadership of your church down, you as wicked as they are if you listen to them. One lady said, well, what would you suggest? I said, I'd suggest to them my ears is not swap wagons. Amen. Wouldn't listen to that kind of filth and that trap. You say, well, I might offend them. You might get the hypocrite right. Amen. Any one thing I detest, and I've said, we won't put up with it. Someone said, you're cruel. No, I'm not cruel. If I let one old long-tongued gossiper, and and oftentimes they say the women, I've met men with a tongue by as long as women. Amen. And if we'd permit some gossiper to tear up the church, that three or four hundred people's labor and crying over, we'd be unkind to everybody else if we didn't do something about it. I appreciate a man of God. It will do something about it. Do it again. That wasn't in there, but I, some of you said, well, I'm not coming back. I load your wagon tonight. Amen. <laughs> Listen to me. Do it again. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 37, verse 31, they've been backslid again there. And God said, you shall again take root downward, bear fruit upward. Not only have I asked God to let us this year have his glory back, and then we'll be prayerful, we'll be joyful, We'll be trustful. He wasn't told John the Baptist, Matthew 11, 4, said, show him again. 
will be prayerful and with them will be fruitful. Roots down, fruit up. A lot of us like to bear fruit up, but we don't put any roots down. You can't have a, uh, you can't have an orchard without the roots of the trees going down. That's why I read Psalm chapter one. And that dwelling by the water like that and a tree planted by the water, that water is the Word of God just getting in the Word, meditating in it day and night and living in the Word. And then he said, you'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, not a tree that's just set out, but one that's planted, got his roots way down there. You and I will never be a sower until we learn to get in this book and live in this book every day, every day, every day. I said Sunday night, if you're too busy to spend a half hour a day in this book, you'll be too busy to be a fruitful Christian. But if you'll get in this book every day at least a half an hour and even longer and bathe your life in this book and don't dare go to work till you get in the book. Job said, I've steamed thy word above my necessary food. If you just get in the book and put your roots down, again, you can bear fruit. Uh, so many. They've already said, said enough about so many. And I'll not mention anything other than just to say this. I was called upon night before last to come and uh, conduct a funeral service yesterday. And I went and I'd never met the people. He attended the church there where I served back years ago. He'd come there a time or two. He called me to come, and there is, a, is the death of a baby. And I went, and it was a graveside service. I met him out in the Speedway Chapel, and we drove out to the baby land and one of the cemeteries there nearby. And my heart so break for that man. Some of his relation was mixed up in a religion that wanted to baptize the baby and so on, and he knew enough about the Bible, knew that wasn't necessary. And God led, and we tried to comfort the family about David's baby losing his baby. David said, I can't bring him back, but I can go where he's at. I saw that dear man come over, and it was obvious he knew nothing about the Bible, and his heart was so breaking. He said to me, he said, well, we want to keep this little boy. We want to keep him so bad. He said, preacher, do you know why? I said, sir, I, I'd only could speculate, and there's no reason in that, no use in it. I said, I don't know. I tried to help him there, but I couldn't get close to him there. And I said, sir, is your wife in the hospital? He said, yes, sir. Would you mind if I called on her? And he said, no. And I went to the hospital, got there about... Five o'clock yesterday afternoon, and of course he couldn't be in there at that time. The babies were had just been taken out. Of course hers was gone, but I asked for permission to go in, and they gave me permission to go in, and I started talking to her, and she didn't want to talk first at much, and I said, I'm sorry you didn't get to go to the service. I said, would you mind me just rehearsing the five-minute message that I gave out there with a little casket? And she said, I'd appreciate it. And I started going through it, and she started weeping. She said, I'd sure like to see you. I said, you can if you can find out the way there. And about that time, he walked in. She said, well, you're not supposed to be in here. And he said, yeah, but this got a strange feeling. He didn't know I was there. Got a strange feeling in order to come back in. He said, I, I want to talk to the preacher too. Oh, here come a head nurse, a colored nurse. She come in. She said, I told you once, sir, when you had to leave. And she said, you'll get me in trouble. And I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor, and I had the funeral for these, the, the baby for this just a little while ago. And I said, these people need help. And I said, they need to know how to be saved. I said, this is a serious matter. And I, if you get in trouble, I'll go to bed for you. And she said, yes, sir, yes, sir. You just help yourself. And I got a chair and pulled it up there. I told them the sweet story about Jesus. Boy, they both got saved and they got happy. I got in the car and I, I mean, I can remember how I felt when I got saved. I felt about as good last night. Amen. They live, they live five minutes of our church. I didn't know. They said, we're going to be coming next Sunday week. Will she get out of the hospital tomorrow? Next Sunday week said, will you be there at the church? That's what it's all about. Lord, do it again. Make us soul winners again. 
He's not concerned about men going to the moon. They don't get excited in heaven about that. But when one poor sinner repents, the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one that comes to God. Some of you in this building hadn't won one soul in 1975. That care 90% of your problems in here is having problems like if, you, if you'd quit being so selfish and self-centered and start investing in the needs of others and man's greatest need is salvation for his soul. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and God's people's in prayer. Pastor's coming to take the service. It's right now. It's a midnight hour. You want to come tonight and ask God to do something for you again? I hope you'll do it. Pastor will take the invitation. Would you do it again? Would you ask him? He wants to do these things for us.